This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, six of eight playoff teams have clinched their berth. Who will the final two be? Robert Church of the Saskatchewan Rush stops by as they take on Colorado in a mile-high clash. Pat Gregoire checks in to tell us the keys to Garrett Billings' resurgence. And Ashley Dawkins stops by to talk the rough. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on NLL Radio, SoundCloud, and the Lacrosse Flash. My name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome to the show. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Uh, before we go anywhere, I want to thank Steve Burmell for happening happen to have me on the 716 podcast. That's Buffalo's area code for those that were unfamiliar. Great chat with him talking bandits in the National Lacrosse League. So you can go find his podcast and check it out. I'm sure they'll talk lots of sabers and other things. Buffalo like snow and cold and wings and living by a great lake. And then we'll talk some lacrosse. But we'll talk all lacrosse here and a few other things on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Robert Church, Pat Gregoire, Ashley Docking. All slated to join us here on the show. We'll talk everything that we can fit in, especially since it was a quiet week 16 in the NLL. Only four games. Toronto squeaked out a one-goal win over Philadelphia. Saskatchewan held off Vancouver, who rallied late. San Diego put a whooping on Calgary. And Rochester kept their very slim playoff chances alive with a big 13-8 win over New England. For those that didn't see it, Callum Crawford involved in another incident in that game. We will talk about it. We'll also talk about the crazy, insane goal that Curtis Dixon scored on the weekend, continuing to add to his highlight reel as the Roughnecks lost a big game at home, which kind of tightens up the NLL West. There is just a game and a half separating second from fourth, three and a half games, first through fourth. Vancouver still technically alive, but with one loss or a Colorado win this weekend, that will do it for the Vancouver Warriors, who are on the verge of missing the playoffs for the sixth time in five years, I believe. Or maybe it's five and six, one of the two. Did I just say that twice? It's either four and five or five and six. Um, But their first year downtown in Vancouver under new ownership, under new management, under new coaching staff, didn't finish the way they want. They're currently 4-11. and Two and a half games back to Colorado. And th- just three games left in their regular season. Now, the games that they do have left uh, aren't the toughest games on anybody's schedule. Uh, so they could go on a bit of a miraculous run here down the stretch as they got to play Philadelphia, Rochester, and Toronto. All three games are very winnable for that club. And if Colorado somehow stumbles in their final four games, the Warriors could catch them. It's a very slim chance, but it is doable. They just have to go on a run that they haven't been able to do all year, and that's win three straight. Teams are starting to pick on the Vancouver Warriors right now. Saskatchewan went out to a 10-2 lead in that game uh, by halftime. 
and everyone kind of felt that that game was out of hand. Saskatchewan was going to cruise. It actually did start to get out of hand with some of the big hits that were laid in that game. Then there was the fight between Bielich and Barker. It was a chippy game. And at 10-2, you could kind of understand if things went sideways, and they did. But Barker and Bielich settled it out. They finished what they started. They both left the game. That was it. And it was fairly clean after that. Eh, Rubish and Shuss tussling to the ground was a bit of an afterthought. But it was nice to see the Warriors battle back and show some heart and character in that game to get it back to within three after being down pretty much the entire game. But a first half that is very forgettable if you're a Warriors fan. If you're a Saskatchewan fan, you also have to be a little concerned because they put up 10 in the first half. They only scored two the rest of the way. Now, this has been an issue in my mind with the rush for a number of years. They have always been a team that has been potent offensively, uh, strong defensively, and able to put up multiple goals on any given night. They're very high-powered offense. But I've also noticed in the past that this is a team that often has tendencies to take their foot off the gas and allow their opponents to claw their way back. Now, it's not too often that they allow an opponent to climb all the way back and steal a game, but they have been very prone to creating big leads and letting that lead shrink as the game goes on. That's got to be a bit of a concern for Derek Keenan. It's got to be a bit of a concern for the players in that locker room. But they're going into Colorado this weekend for a massive, massive game. Their next three games are actually probably some of the three toughest. Sorry, they have five games left. Colorado, San Diego, Philly, then Calgary and Colorado to end out their season. So four of their final five are against Western opponents, and four of those five are most likely against playoff teams. So if Saskatchewan is going to make a run to catch San Diego, it's going to happen this weekend. But the Mammoth, the Seals, the Roughnecks, they're not going to lay down. Pretty sure Philadelphia is not going to lay down either. So without Evan Kirk between the pipes, Adam Shute is going to have to take his game to an extra level. And he was great this past weekend uh, against Vancouver. Obviously, you take two sides of the coin. The first half, he was fantastic. The second half, everybody in a Warriors jersey wasn't that great. But Adam Shute made 32 saves on 41 shots, only gave up nine goals. He was stellar. We're not sure the timetable of return for Evan Kirk. It's been anywhere from four to six weeks. So I would imagine he's probably still a few more weeks away. But you never know. Modern medicine, technology, guys who are just able to heal quicker. Evan Kirk might be able to get back in to the lineup sooner than later. And I'm sure Rush fans would love that. But as mentioned, Adam Shute is a very serviceable backup. And he's done the job for them this past couple weekends. Toronto and Philadelphia was an interesting game, uh, a back-and-forth game as it's gone pretty much most of the year for Philadelphia. They've always kind of been in the hunt. They've always been in these close games, uh, but it's more times often than not than they are unable to pull it out. This time they almost did. They outscored Toronto 4-1 in the fourth quarter. 
They got to within one. They just couldn't find that final goal over the last four minutes. And a lot of that has to do with the play of Nick Rose down the stretch. He made 14, sorry, 11 saves in the fourth quarter, 25 saves in the second half alone. He was huge down the stretch as the Rock were able to hold on in that game. Still no Adam Jones. Johnny Powell stepped up with a huge game, seven points. Rob Hellyer had six. They were playing Challen Rogers on the power play out the front door a lot that game. That just goes to show the fact that they need offensive scoring when Jones goes down, but it also shows that they have some great depth. But that was a huge win for Toronto just to kind of stay within reaching distance of Buffalo and Georgia. And then also this weekend, uh, we talked about We'll get to Calgary, San Diego in a minute. Rochester, New England. That's a great win for Rochester. Warren Hill getting his first career start and his first career win. Uh, Congratulations to him. That's a tough team to go in against and get that W, especially on the road. And he made 50 saves. And that's fantastic for Warren Hill. To come in, 50 saves, get your first career win. Actually, I don't think it's his first career start. He might have started a couple games earlier this year, but it is his first career win. Uh, the Six Nations goaltender uh, was fantastic. As I said, um, 58 saves unofficially, gave up eight goals. But the bigger story coming out of that game was the Callum Crawford incident. And when I first saw it, I was blown away that it happened dumbfounded even. How could a guy coming off a suspension, knowing everybody's watching him, go out and do that? And then he did it. And then I went back and actually watched the game, not just the the five-second gif, and I realized that the hit wasn't as bad as initially thought. Yes, he two-hands him in the chest, upper chest area. He kind of leaves his feet through momentum, but not viciously. It was a silly play. He shouldn't have done it, and it could cost him. And unfortunately for the New England Black Wolves, they're on a bit of a losing streak right now, and it's coming at the worst possible time. They've lost three straight, and they have a stretch of games down the rest of the season where they can't afford to lose too many games. They're at home to San Diego this weekend, then they're on the road for their final three at Toronto, at Buffalo, at Rochester. And if they continue this trend that they're on, they could very well lose the playoff spot that they had a secure grasp on just a few weeks ago. And I don't know if the whole Callum Crawford thing is throwing this group off mentally, but it's got to be playing a huge effect in that locker room because this team hasn't been the same since. And they need to find a way to right the ship. They need to find a way to forget about all the outside noise and get back to playing New New England lacrosse because they've only scored nine goals or less their last three games, and they've all been losses. Their last win was at home to Colorado where they put up 17. Since then, they've lost to Vancouver, put up nine. Lost to Philly, put up eight. Lost to Rochester, put up eight. Sure, two of those games were without Crawford, but with Crawford, who only went one for two and eight goals for combined for the team, this is a team that's struggling. 
and their final home game against the top team in the West will be a massive test. Sure, we don't know if Callum Crawford's going to be in the lineup or not. I have a feeling he will be. But this last stretch of games for the Black Wolves, when at once we all thought they were assured a playoff spot, they're still four games up on Rochester and Philadelphia. But a couple losses either and wins either way could really change the landscape for that fourth playoff spot. One through three are pretty much set. But it's that fourth spot we're trying to figure out in the East. Now, let's get back to the West and that San Diego-Calgary game. And it was a game that I thought was going to be a lot closer than it was. But as every team is starting to learn that if you give San Diego any sort of breathing room, any chance to stretch their legs, and any chance to pile on, they're going to take it. And as that game went on, their defense got better, their offense got more potent, and they were just able to shut down the Calgary offense. Held them to nine goals. Didn't give them much of a chance after the first quarter. Curtis Dixon was in on five of those nine. Dutch was in on four. Doby was in on four. They're getting production from their top three guys. It's the rest of the offense that unfortunately didn't get the job done well enough to give them a chance. Now, we need to take a moment and pause and listen to the greatness that is Curtis Dixon. The shot save made by Shiliano. Dixon now with it. Scores! Whoa! Curtis Dixon with a special goal. Calgary now trails by three. That goal, 6-0-4 into the third quarter, got everybody in the rough house on their feet, picking their jaws up off of the floor and rubbing their eyes in awe as Curtis Dixon goes back to the net, one-hand scoop, Far corner top cheese. And Frank Giuliano really had no chance. But it just goes to show the majestic skills of Curtis Dixon. He has such incredible dexterity and skill in torquing his body in unconventional ways, shooting in unconventional ways, and scoring unconventional goals. But we're starting to realize that it's not so unconventional for Curtis Dixon. He has done this a number of times. He's tried it even more times than he's scored. And when you can see players battling for every inch of the turf, putting their all on the floor night in and night out, and then they can go out and pull off something like this, it continues to magnify the spectacle that is professional lacrosse. There is nothing like pro lacrosse. And these guys continue to put on shows week in and week out. And it continues to blow my mind and minds of everybody who tunes in every weekend. We have so many candidates for goals of the year this year. That one immediately rockets right near the top. Curtis Dixon 
you, sir, are a wizard. So that's a quick wrap-up of Week 16 in the National Lacrosse League. Week 17, a bit busier. Six games all told, and there are some juicy, juicy matchups. Buffalo at Toronto, San Diego at Georgia. Those two, Friday night. Calgary at Philadelphia, San Diego at New England, Toronto at Rochester, Saskatchewan at Colorado. Those games all on Saturday. Now, if you didn't put two and two together in that San Diego game, it's the Stotts Bowl, Randy versus Austin. Buffalo versus Toronto will be the QEW battle with the border in between them and a chance for the Rock to climb up the standings. San Diego has to do the double from Toronto to New England, so that's not an easy task. Toronto's got to go from a home game against Buffalo and then head down that QEW, up the I-90, take on Rochester. And then a huge matchup in the West. Saskatchewan v. Colorado. Second game of the season series. The first one, Saskatchewan took it, but it was a very tight game between those two clubs on the road in Saskatchewan. And the rush took it 9-7, in which was a fantastic goaltender's duel between Kirk and Ward. In that game, way back when, on February 22nd, Robert Church was just held to a single assist. The Mammoth defense did a great job on shutting down pretty much everybody except Mark Matthews and Jeff Shatler. They're going to have to do a better job this weekend, but Church and the Rush know they're going into hostile territory. They're taking on a team that's playing some of their best lacrosse, and they are going to have to be at their best. When I caught up with Churchy on Tuesday, he was out enjoying some of the lovely weather we're experiencing on the West Coast, and that's where our conversation begins with the beautiful weather. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, hopefully, uh, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, so hopefully it doesn't last too long because it's been beautiful here. It has been. You been out golfing yet? I haven't, but uh, I was just talking about it today with uh, a couple guys at work, so... I think that'll be on the schedule for her for the next couple of weeks here. It's a lot nicer here than it is in Saskatchewan lately, isn't it? It definitely is. Uh, the weather's been not too bad in Saskatoon, though, so no complaints. It wasn't too bad in winter, so uh, yeah, it makes going there a little bit easier. And especially now, uh, it's a beautiful city when uh, when you start to see some uh, greenery and the sun comes out a bit. It, it is a really nice town, and they got a great group of fans who really support you. How important were they? Uh, this past weekend against Vancouver, when the Warriors were making that late run, yeah, they've been they've been great since the the first game we got there, and they've been great with supporting us and you know getting us getting us going every night. But yeah, Vancouver had a big push there. It was a bit of a a bit of a scare for us for a while, but uh, you know Benny got a big goal in the third, and then Shadow got a nice little uh, empty netter to to end it. So that was nice. But yeah, we're gonna need them moving forward because uh, I mean we haven't been as dominant as we have been in the past, but. I think we've got a good team and, uh, you know, getting a home game and hopefully winning out and, you know, maybe getting the one seed is going to be big for us moving forward. Is it more the league getting better for your guys? I don't want like less of success this year. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think uh, the league is getting better. And then, I mean, we lost some pretty key defenders, uh, you know, yeah. Ryan Delks, who was a defender of the year a couple of years ago, and then Jeff Cornwall and then Adrian. So, uh we're missing some important guys, but we have no excuse. Every team's missing guys from their team last year, so uh, we got to do a little bit better. Uh, I think our D's been excellent the last couple games, and 
I think, more of a struggle than our offense. So I think it's time for us to get going and uh, put a full 60-minute effort together. We're going to be tough to beat, I think. Is that just because teams are zeroing in on your offense more and they're watching more film so they're getting a better idea of how to defend you guys? Because, uh, you know, this isn't the potent offense that we've seen in the last couple years, as talented as you guys are. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we run a pretty structured system where we had in the past. We're trying to, you know, get a little more freelance in there so we can be less predictable. But, yeah, I mean, what is it, year four or five of teams being able to scout the, the same kind of stuff and, uh, they're doing a better job at, at stopping it. But, I mean, a lot of it, I think, comes down to us just capitalizing on opportunities. Uh, we're getting a lot of looks, but we're just not – those balls don't seem to be going in for us. So, it was nice last game. I know we got a couple good bounces off sticks that went in the net. So, I mean, uh, we've been we've been looking for that for a while. But, yeah, I think that uh, if we just keep playing our game, you know, be less predictable, I think we're going to be tough to, to stop. It never is easy when you lose your starting goaltender, but how important has the play of Adam Shute been for you guys lately? Yeah, Shooter's been awesome. I mean, you've seen him play uh, up close in Victoria the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. You know, he's been sitting there waiting patiently. He works hard in practice. So, yeah, I think he's, he's made the most of his opportunity. Um, yeah, he's been great. I mean, we have faith in Adam. So, uh, we weren't too worried when uh, Kirk comes back. But, you know, we're going to be looking forward to when Adam uh, or when uh, Kirk comes back. So, hopefully it's not too far because uh, I mean, he's a vital opportunity left winning another championship. Yeah, and you guys got a, a bunch of big games down the stretch. Still five games left. You're in Colorado this weekend before you take on San Diego. How tough are these next two games going to be for you guys? Because you mentioned you still have first place in your sights. Yeah, these are two massive games when it comes to the standings. Colorado's been playing really well. Uh, I mean, I mean, I played with Eli in the summer, so I've seen uh, firsthand how good he is, and he's been showing that uh, and more this season. So we got to do a good job at stopping their offense. I mean, they seem to be playing really well as a unit, and, you know, it's pretty impressive to see. So our defense is going to have uh, their work cut out for them. But as an offense, you know, Colorado's got a good defense. I think we only – I think we put up maybe less than 10 last time we played them. So it's going to be a challenge. Uh, Wardo's one of the best goalies in the league, if not the best. So, uh, yeah, we, we know we gotta we got to bring our A game on, on Saturday if we want to close the win. And then San Diego is uh, – I mean, they're – pretty crazy how they've put together the season they have but you know they're really difficult to play against so we're gonna have another test going there in a couple of weeks but I mean that that game could really be the one that decides who's going to come out first place in the west absolutely uh you were talking about Eli McLaughlin obviously you guys are Burnaby Laker teammates in the summer in the WLA how nice is it to see to see a, a teammate and friend like him having a career year yeah I mean I kind of figured when the when the Benesh trade happened, they were kind of opening the door for, for Eli to take the reins and, and be that number one guy. And, I mean, I think he's more than ready for it. So, it's been nice to see. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing with him again this summer. And hopefully he can keep it rolling. But, you know, I don't want have him have too much success against us <laughs> next week. So. Yeah. Um, the uh, Saturday Night Lacrosse video that uh, the Saskatchewan Rush uh, media guys put out was a pretty cool video. Uh, are you much of a sharpshooter with that cowboy gun? Yeah, we were kind of kind of laughing at the clips that they put together. I mean, we saw it. A couple guys saw it before the game on Saturday. We were kind of like just wondering what it was, and then we saw it on social media yesterday and had a pretty good laugh. But <laughs> but no, I don't think I'm much of a sharpshooter. But me and Connor Robinson went did a, a museum tour earlier this year, and they had us dress up in the cowboy gear. So I think that was a little shot of one of the things they had me doing earlier this year. How much time have you guys spent in Saskatoon? Because the NLL life is pretty much in and out for, for a lot of guys. Um, and you guys don't really have anybody living in market. But how much time do you guys get to spend in Saskatoon to get out in the community and, and see some sites? 
Yeah, a lot of it depends on the, the time of the year. Because without them doing, they don't do daylight savings. So right. uh, our flights are pretty scrapped throughout the year. There aren't too many direct flights from Vancouver, Ontario. So we kind of you know, hop on when they are there. So, uh, you know, lately we've been getting getting the Robin and Saskatoon ahead and right to practice. There hasn't been too much time. But I think the, the Ontario guys are getting there a little earlier and, you know, doing some stuff in the community because we know how important that is. And, you know, we owe it to them. But, yeah, I mean, there's not that much opportunity. Like you said, we're, we're flying in and out so quickly that uh, – you know, we got to make the most of our time there, and uh, we try and do our best, but there's not always uh, opportunities for us with our flights. I've seen Scott Jones and Robert Dalzell chirping you about your March Madness bracket. Yeah, I mean, Bob Dalzell's my boss, and then me and Scott are good buddies from, uh, you know, playing lacrosse together. So I had a good first two days in the bracket. I was leading our, our pool. We had a pretty big pool. And then uh, ever since they started chirping me on Twitter, I've I'm, I'm dead last. So I mean, their <laughs> wish came true. I Who do you got winning? Terrible. I had UNC. Ah. So, yeah, they fell, uh, fell pretty hard to Auburn, I think. So, yeah, my bracket is kind of bad. Uh, and our rush one, I think I came pretty close to last in that. Ryan Keenan took the, took the win in that one. Is there a lot of chirping between you guys? Because it's, it's a really tight group you guys have in that Saskatchewan rush locker. How much sort of gamesmanship is there between each other in that room? Yeah, I mean, we've been, for the most part, our core's been together for, for a pretty long time, so we know each other really well, so we, you know, we do a lot of stuff together, and yeah, I'd say there's some friendly competition, whether it's, you know, guys playing cards or, you know, online pools, we got a pretty big fantasy football league that we've been doing for a long time, so yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, last last place in our fantasy football pool, the punishment is they got to throw in the gear and take the pads on and uh, try and stop the boys in the, around the horn shooting after practice. <laughs> who who was in the, who lo- who lost this year? Unfortunately, it was uh, it was Matt McGrady, and he uh, he got released before the before he got to throw the pads on. So yeah, if anything, I guess he got away with not even put the gear on. But last year, it was actually Ryan Keenan. It was, it was pretty funny watching. That's all shoot on him, and then uh, Derek took part in it too. So we lit him up pretty good. Keenan is is a pretty pretty great coaches, or uh, sorry, pretty great players coach, isn't he? Yeah, he's great. I mean, uh, you know, he has no problem hanging out with the boys, but. Uh, you know, that's why he's such a good coach. He can he can hang out with us and you know you know, hang out and then he can he can he knows when to turn it on and, and be the be the serious guy and you know, we respect him so much that when he opens his mouth and you know, everyone's listening he demands our attention and you know, that's why he's so good and uh he's been kidding so good for so long. You're a part of a, an incredible group of Coquitlam players who came through their minor system. How important is that bond between all you Coquitlam guys from that 29 to 2011 sort of era? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was fortunate enough to to grow up with, with guys like Ben and Marty and Jeff and, you know, even guys like Travis, so I played with every other year. So, you know, it's been kind of cool to come up with them and play. And then, you know, junior, we got to play with a ton of guys that have had a lot of NL, NLL success. So, you know, it's been nice to see. And, you know, they're, they're having success all over the league. And then even that – the younger group of guys like Challen, I mean, it's pretty unbelievable for him to be the captain of the Toronto Rock already. And yeah. then you see guys like Christian having so much success in Calgary. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty nice to see the Kaboom guys keep coming up through the junior ranks and, you know, have an NLL success. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. So I'm sure we'll be seeing them for, for years to come. Yeah, it's crazy. I've coached against some of the, the midget teams in the past, and they have an incredible pipeline of kids coming up. How important was it for you to have, um, more than just three years of junior lacrosse. 
Yeah, I think it was uh, really important. Uh, my first year out of out of midget, I played I played a full season intermediate, and then I played here and there with uh, the junior Adnax when Dan Fro was the coach. But they kind of wanted me to focus on intermediate. I wasn't the biggest guy, so I mean it was about you know learning the game and the speed. So I played up uh, a little bit, but yeah, then those four years, I think year two was a big year for us. Uh, they brought all the Sophie, Ben, Marty Jackson as underage players, and we had a lot of success in one BC, and then that kind of paved the way for the next year. Uh, the first year we won BC, we were, it was all about, you know, we were happy to get to the Mintel, and then after that, all those next years, it was about winning the Mintel. So, right. just having that mindset and, and getting that experience was huge. Do you think we're going to see better lacrosse players coming out of BC now that it's five years of junior? Uh, I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I think it has it's worked really well in Ontario. Uh, I think going to uh, depend on how well the junior B programs are because, you know, I, got, I know guys like Mark Matthews played a year of, uh, with the Green Gales, and I think that, that prepares them well because like, they're paying, playing at such a high level where, you know, intermediate was kind of, you know, a mix of the best players are playing junior and you didn't know what you were going to get. So I think that uh, if they can get a good uh, junior B program going and, you know, getting guys playing right out of the midget, then I think that will help a lot. Jersey, always a pleasure, my man. Uh, safe travels to Colorado this week, and we'll see you in Denver. And uh, half good luck on Saturday night. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Teddy. Always great catching up and chatting with Robert Church. And I, in jest, said only half good luck. Obviously, I'll be calling the game from Denver on Saturday night. So, always like to see the Mammoth pull out a win, especially against the Rush. But you never wish ill will on anybody or for them to have a terrible game. I'd like him to get two assists. I can, I can deal with Robert Church getting two assists. That's about it, though. The Mammoth and Rush always play very entertaining lacrosse games, and this is a key time of year for everybody across the National Lacrosse League. But as we get deeper and deeper into the season, every shift, every quarter becomes that much more important. And both teams will have to endure the peaks and valleys, the highs and lows, the runs, the droughts, the controversial calls. Everything is going to happen Saturday night. There's going to be those moments where a call doesn't go your way, You have to be able to set it and forget it and then move on. Because if you dwell in the past, you're not working towards the future and you're hurting your team. And neither Derek Keaton or Pat Coyle will be okay with that. Robert Church and that group of Coquitlam players from that era have really set a fantastic precedence for Coquitlam cross players. There's been great players that come out of Coquitlam long before them. But that group that started the the dynasty that has been Coquitlam Junior Lacrosse back in 09 or 08 even has been an incredible meteoric rise. The likes of players that have come through that system that have played for that organization that have gone to countless Mintos is so large that you could almost build a team solely off of Coquitlam players. You could probably do it with New West. You could probably do it with Orangeville. You could probably do it, or you could definitely do it with Six Nations. You might be able to do it with Victoria. You might be a little scattered here and there. But the hotbeds of lacrosse that are out there in Canada continue to pump out fantastic lacrosse players, and Coquitlam has been one of the best over the last few years. 
And there are some talented players coming up through that system that will be names that you will be hearing for many years to come in the future. We can say that about all the big lacrosse hubs. Because Orangeville's not going to stop. The Nations won't stop. Peterborough won't stop. Victoria won't stop. But now we're going to get into Millwoods. Right, Johnny Lentz? Shuchuk? Cornfield? Those guys are Millwoods guys. We're going to get Alberta players. We're going to get Saskatoon guys. We're going to get Manitoba. We're going to get Long Island. We're going to get California, Colorado. The more we grow, the more players from those areas are going to want to play lacrosse. And I just love that the direction that pro lacrosse is going. It sucks that the MLL is losing a couple teams and they're contracting. I actually think that's kind of good for them. Just kind of start back from square one. But the NLL and PLL are kind of merging on a collision course of success. And if they can find a way to coexist, work together, and allow players to play both sides of the coin, the game of lacrosse is going to continue to explode. And I can't wait for that explosion. The greatest intro in podcast history. Pat Gregoire joins us now. Patty G, Patty G, how are you? I'm doing fine, man. Doing fine. Things are getting a little hotter out here in Ontario, so it's a smoking uh, seven degrees Celsius right now. Um, I just saw that Kevin Pillar got traded. Are you okay? Yeah. With that? Are you okay with that? Ah, uh, yeah. You know what? I mean, I don't. I don't want to get into this too much, but. The team's obviously not doing anything this year. Kevin yeah. Pillar is a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, I, he do, he's not a good offensive player. He's a great defensive player, but the defense is declining. Uh, without getting in too much, obviously from a PR standpoint, the team only had about 10,000 fans last night. You trade away your, you know, quote-unquote fan favorite. Not really a great PR move, but I think from a baseball standpoint, it, it's the right play. Fair enough. Um, I also thought he went for a run in that seven-degree weather today. Are you making a comeback? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, I was running with my dog, Rudy. Uh, if I want to make a comeback, I'm going to need to run with something a little bigger, maybe a horse. Garrett <laughs> <laughs> uh, Billings is having a comeback of all comebacks with the San Diego Seals. What do you think has been the biggest key for his success? You know what? I, I think, and I, I know, actually, I should say, I know that no one anticipated uh, Billings having this good of a season. Uh, we saw him have some success when he was playing in the WLA, but uh, it was a small sample size. And what we're seeing from him is is incredible. And I think the biggest contributor is the fact that, you know, he's playing on a young team and it's kind of injected some youth uh, into his game. Uh, you've got guys around him like, you know, Casey Jackson, who's been unbelievable. Uh, you know, Austin Stotts, a rookie of the year contender. 
Uh, you have those young guys. You have a fast back end that really likes to push the pace. So you're seeing Billings scoring some goals in transition off the bench. I mean, that diving goal he scored was unbelievable. Uh, it's just I think the youth has allowed him to be, um, you know, adapt to his game and play maybe a little bit of a faster game. And uh, it's it's something that I think has been sneakily one of the best uh, storylines of this season so far. Sneakily? Can you spell that? I think no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um the depth of San Diego has been one of their biggest bright spots because at the start of the year when, when Audie Stotts lit up Colorado for nine in that first game, teams really had to start to focus in on him. But now that their offense has sort of started to round out, you mentioned Casey Jackson. You got Buchanan and Dawson and Billings now, and Turner Evans is chipping in. Their depth has allowed all of their players to play a little more free. Yeah, it, it certainly has. And I think – that was one thing with uh, Stott's game. He came in so fast and showed immediately that he was going to be an impact player. But teams were keying in on him, like you said. And that's kind of maybe where we first saw San Diego go through some minor uh, growing pains, you could say. Uh, but within the last few weeks, maybe even the last month, uh, there's been absolutely zero growing pains, and the depth has really showed. Um, you know, if it's not Stotts going off for a bunch of points, you see a guy like Buchanan last week had a huge gain, eight points. Uh, obviously, what Billings is doing on a week-to-week basis is huge. Uh, you got Dawson scoring, you know, big goals, and that that's now allowed them just to be so difficult to game plan because you can't just key in on Stotts because – other guys will burn you. Well, if you don't pay enough attention to Stotts, he's going to burn you as well. So he is kind of, uh, I shouldn't say he, the entire team has been a complete matchup nightmare for defenses. And not only has it allowed them to be successful in their first regular season, uh, but I think it's allowed them to be poised to make a, a serious, serious run. They've scored 13 goals in four of their last five wins. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And, and that, that's the thing, and it's not just one or two guys lighting them up. Uh, it's an entire offensive unit, and you have guys also scoring in transition as well. And uh, this team, you just you look from the goaltender out. I mean, Chiliano's been outstanding. The defense has done a fine job, uh, you know, allowing Frankie to see all his shots. They're getting up. They're playing fast. And then we talked about it. This, this offense is just so, so well-rounded, and you have the young guns, and you have the wily vets, and it's just a perfect blend, uh, and a team that exactly you'd want to build for a championship rush run, I should say, and this this team was only built in a year. Yeah. Mean, there's teams that have been trying to build this blend of youngsters, speed, athleticism, with veteran leadership for years, and they haven't been able to do it. Well, Patrick Merrill's done it in not even a full season. Are you looking forward to Stotts versus Stotts this weekend down in Georgia? Oh, I mean, if you're not excited for that, check your pulse because uh, this game is going to be great. Obviously, Stotts and Stotts won't be going head-to-head, but you know the competitive nature and the competitive juices will be flowing uh, through those two. Those are two guys that have really motivated each other throughout their entire careers. And one, whenever one would... Uh, you know, have some sort of feat or would 
reach a milestone, the other one immediately would want to do the same. Obviously, they're very happy for each other, and they want each other to do the best, but at the same time, they want to be the best, and I think we're going to see that. But outside of it just being Stotts for Stotts, I think you could argue right now these are two of, if not the two hottest teams uh, in the NLL. Georgia really hitting their stride. Uh, that offense looks like they've really found themselves. And obviously, like we said, San Diego, uh, you know, pulling off potentially what could be a, a Vegas Golden Knight situation here. Yeah, San Diego's won five in a row. San, or Georgia's won four in a row. Uh, definitely two of the hotter teams in the league right now. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, and focus on the scoring race in the National Cross League. Obviously, the whole Callum Crawford situation has thrown a wrench in his bid for an NLL scoring championship. But five guys, six guys are within seven points of each other. Uh, this is going to be a race that comes right down to the wire. But more importantly, it just shows the continuation of the growth of talent in the NLL. Absolutely. I, I think that that is pretty awesome uh, to see that – that there's so many guys uh, that you can have potentially winning that scoring title or even winning an M MVP. Uh, I feel like maybe not in the last few years, but there was a little bit of a stretch of a time where you could probably pick, you know, two or three guys at the start of the year and they would find themselves near the top of the, the scoring race or, you know, near the top of everyone's MVP sheet. But I mean, this year, uh, it just seems almost like, each week by week, uh, other guys are jumping each other. And, I mean, Dane Dobie is sitting in number one right yeah. now. Uh, he was kind of hovering, you know, in that four, six range like that. And then, boom, next thing you know, now he's sitting in the top. But, I mean, this upcoming weekend, we can have a, a completely new slate of top three players. And like you said, I think this just shows that uh, there isn't just one or two few uh, elite superstars, offensive superstars in the league. Now you're seeing teams with two or three offensive superstars on their team, which, which just boasts so well for the National Lacrosse League, especially as the league grows. The last thing you want is to spread those superstars too thin. thin. Now, I mean, you're going to look through every single team in the National Lacrosse League soon, and all those teams will have at least one or two superstars that can really, really uh, drive their team. Oh, geez. we talked about the Georgia Swarm and how they've won four straight, but let's not sleep on the Buffalo Bandits. They've won eight of their last ten. They're 12-3 top team in the entire National Lacrosse League. Uh, they are in a race with Georgia for that final or that number one seed. They both play in 15 games. Georgia's trailing by a game. Can the Swarm – the Swarm. Yeah, they are the Swarm. I almost thought they changed the name for a second. Can the Swarm <laughs> catch the Bandits? You know, I definitely think – they can obviously it's going to be a tough task uh toronto uh or sorry buffalo heading into uh, toronto this week so that's obviously a tough game for them um but i don't know just the way that buffalo's played uh, i i don't think the last few weeks have been their best lacrosse but isn't that uh, a way to see how strong a team really is the fact that they can pull out wins uh, when they're not playing their best lacrosse so mm -hmm. I think if you had to give an edge to a team, you, you give it to the Buffalo Bandits right now. Uh, but I definitely would not count out Georgia. And uh, just the way that this team has been in the last few years, uh, it just seems like they start to play their best ball when it matters the most. So with that being said, I know I just said Buffalo, 
uh, but Georgia, the way that they've been able to turn things on near the end of the season, uh, heading into the postseason, I mean, it would not surprise me if they close out the rest of their regular season, uh, continuing that winning streak and rolling right into the postseason as a number one seed in the East. Buffalo's got Toronto, New England, and the Seals. Uh, Georgia has the Seals, Calgary, and Philadelphia. So neither one has an easy no. final three games. But it surprised me that, and this is probably just due to the unbalance of East versus West, the fact that San Diego, or sorry, that Georgia and Buffalo only played twice this year. I'd like to see everybody play each other three times just to make easy um, playoff situations. Yeah, I, I I definitely think that would be uh, something that the league would like to to you know implement going down the stretch, whatever they decide to restructure the divisions. But uh, I think it also allows teams to kind of build more of a rivalry. Uh, we talk about you know some of the historic rivalries, you know the Toronto uh, Buffaloes, the Rochester Buffaloes, whatever it may be, even out in, out west. Uh, you've got some great rivalries out there, but those rivalries are built uh, when you're playing each other so often uh, and you learn to hate guys on the other team. The fans learn to hate guys on the, on the floor of the opposing team. So I think that's a great idea. I think not only does it allow, you know, to see who is truly the better team and even out those standings, but I think it does kind of build more of a true rivalry uh, in a sense in your own division. Patty, always a pleasure, my man. Uh, we got some big games this weekend as we work down towards the stretch. Is there one game you're really focused on? Uh, well, I think we we talked about both of them, uh, but I think you really you're looking off obviously at that the Stotts for Stotts game. But I think Buffalo uh, Toronto is a game that I will be you know really dialed into. Buffalo, like I said. Uh, they're in first in the East Toronto. They pick up a huge win, but you know, it's against a, a Philly team that uh, is sitting on the bottom of the East. We saw Johnny Palace have a huge game. Uh, a lot of the lefties contributed and I kind of called them out last week on this show and uh, on the NLL flash saying they had to be better and they were better, but let's see if they can stay consistent because if they're going to want to beat Buffalo and, and stay in the thick of things, maybe try to get up to that second seed uh, with Georgia, or, I mean, I don't think they're going to get the first seed anymore, but uh, for them to kind of heat up before the playoffs, those lefties are going to have to stay hot as well. Do we, we talked, we asked this last time, is there, and I'll ask Ashley Dawkins that this in a bit, is there an update on Adam Jones? Uh, as far as I know, still, still no update. I know he's running on it. I know, uh, you know, he, he was out, um, you know, at the game last weekend. He took the uh, the morning run as well. Uh, so it's close, obviously, uh, but uh, still no update yet. Uh, I'm sure Docking will have her ear to the ground a little closer than I will. So that, that's probably a good question for her. Is that because she's between the benches, so she's closer to the floor? I mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, just had to make some clarification there. Of course, yeah. You're taller than her, so she is probably closer to the floor. Not by much. No. Not by much. You're a bit of a small guy. I am, I am, I am. Low center of gravity, though. Tough to knock over. Well, hopefully you get (laughs) taken in the expansion draft next year as the comeback season comes around. Patty Gregoire, always a pleasure, my man. Thanks for your time. Love it. Thanks for having me, bud. 
Pete Greggy is the handle. You can find him there as he continues to do uh, yeoman's work covering the National Lacrosse League, uh, looking in on all the teams throughout the NLL. We had a good little chat um, just about the scoring race and how it's changed since the Callum Crawford suspensions and how that's kind of thrown things for loop. But wouldn't it be awesome if Dane Doby won the NLL scoring title? He's currently a point ahead of Lyle. Two, three points ahead of Randy, four points ahead of Dane and Callum, and seven points ahead of Sean Evans. So that's a great group of guys at the top of the scoring charts. And as this season goes on, you heard Patty kind of mention that we're going to get, you know, teams with multiple players with 100 points. We're going to get teams with multiple guys in the top 10, top 15 and that just continues to show the quality of talent coming into the National Lacrosse League, the skills of these players, the ability to play at such high levels. Uh, we talked to Robert Church about how five years of junior is going to benefit players out in BC as much as it, is, as it has done in Ontario. And I bet if you asked Robert in that first year where he was playing junior as an intermediate call-up that those were a that was a very beneficial time for him you know he he talked about mark matthews playing a year of junior b that's huge look at the look at the amount of guys that are in the nll that have junior b on their resume not everybody comes straight into the nll from junior and not everybody goes straight into junior a there is a process and there is a path that everybody has to take. Now, some players are on different projections than others, obviously. And if you're a young player and you are now, especially guys out in BC, even guys in Ontario that are making the jump from midget to junior, playing junior B is not a death sentence. There was times where it used to be. If someone said, oh, you're a junior B guy, that meant you didn't have what it take to cut it. You were probably a bit of a spooner. You probably were known for fighting. And the projects of playing A ball were probably not very high. But now, with some of the talent that's out there, the opportunity to play junior B and play at play it at a high level creates better lacrosse players. Five years of junior will create better lacrosse players. And you have to be able to bide your time. It's not too often a kid is going to make the jump from midget to junior A. There are some special lacrosse players out there that will be able to make that jump. Kyle Pepper here in Victoria... Um, Luca Anton Giovanni and Coquitlam are the two BC guys that I think could very well make that jump. But it's not a given, and it's not something that's going to happen often. It takes a true talent to be able to play as a 16-, 17-year-old on a regular shift in junior A. So the growth of lacrosse isn't just in the A division. And so we are going to see, especially with all the expansion that's coming, 
Junior B lacrosse is going to be a very important breeding ground for players in the years to come. Maybe Pat Gregoire should play some senior B, get himself in shape for the expansion draft next year. Comeback season's coming, Patty, and I expect to see you on the floor. The Toronto Rock would love to see Adam Jones back on the floor. Uh, He's missed the last few games with an undisclosed injury. Uh, No timetable for his return, but they could really use him. They got away with a big win against Philadelphia. It wasn't a convincing win, a win nonetheless. But this is a team that's offense is sort of struggling. They scored 12 against Philly. They scored six against Buffalo. And the loss of Adam Jones has really exposed this offense as one that struggles without the key cog. They put up five against Georgia three weeks ago. And if Adam Jones can get back and be healthy and Johnny Palace can play the way that he played against Philadelphia, then this team really can be successful. But I'm not sure that Palace can succeed in the shadow of Jones. Tom Schreiber and Rob Hellyer have to really start to take their game to another level. Johnny Palace, if he plays the way he did this past weekend and does that consistently without or with Adam Jones, they will have some success. Their defense and transition game is great. Nick Rose, you know, even even in losses, Nick Rose has been good. And some people will look at Nick Rose and they may not be fans. Uh, They may think that Toronto needs a better goaltender. I'm not in that camp. I think Nick Rose is a great goaltender. I think sometimes he gets picked apart just because of the way that he plays his angles. But that's just the way Nick plays. And sometimes he's stone cold hot. Other times he's right in the middle. He's never bad. Maybe that Georgia game where they put up 14 was probably his worst game, but I wouldn't hang that game on him. Even in the loss to Buffalo, where they gave up eight, they only scored six. So this is a team that needs to get healthy because when they're healthy, they're incredibly good. And being healthy has often been one of their biggest downfalls is they just can't stay healthy. And so if they can get Jones back for this final stretch, I think the Rock really could push for a top two spot. They're comfortably in third, but they'd love to have a home game. And that means that Ashley Docking would love to have a home game. And she joins us now, the sideline reporter for the Toronto Rock and also morning show host on the Fan 590 in Toronto. And Docking, obviously, uh, was a big part of the NLL Flash with Tyson Geick and Pat Gregoire last year. She's moved down in between the benches for the Toronto Rock games, and she gets to see everything from an up-close perspective. But she's also able to give a few chirps here and there. And when I told her that Pat Gregoire was kind of complaining about the weather in Ontario, she was having none of it. I think he's a little pessimistic. Here's the thing. Every Canadian knows that you have a second winter. It's a, a quick reminder where you're from, show you what you're made of, and there's no accumulation. So, Pat, um, I don't know what to say. You we, don't, we don't have second winters out west. We only have one winter, and it's like a week. 
Do you even have a winter, or is it like uh, we, a we had golf? one? We had one this year. It was uh, like a month of closed golf courses. <laughs> That's how I relate winters. How long the golf courses are closed? Closed. What a travesty! It's the worst. Um, the biggest world problem. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Uh, you do quite a lot of work in the Toronto sports scene, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. I know you got yourself some brand new hologram football cleats. Like we're definitely <laughs> going to have to talk about that. But let's focus our talk on the Toronto Rock, who. Uh, came out with a big 12-11 victory over Philadelphia to keep their themselves in the upper half of the playoff bracket in the East. How has this Toronto team come along in the past weeks? Because they really seem like they've been struggling. They have been disappointed in their own performance. Um, so it's not as though this is a team that's happy with the way that they've been winning when they have. Of course, they went one in four, only beating Rochester prior to their win against Philadelphia this past week. And even that win, um, you ask some of the guys, you ask Matt Sawyer, they weren't really playing um, up to their potential, and they weren't really playing where they wanted to be. So struggling a little bit, but I also think this group knows that they have a lot of depth in a lot of different positions. So not panicking, which I think is important too, because that leads you to play a little bit outside of yourself. I think a lot of people will look to the play of Nick Rose as possibly why they haven't been – uh, performing the last few weeks, but that's not really a fair assessment because Nick Rose has been one of their MVPs this year. Well, if you look at the game against Buffalo, who's arguably one of the top offensive, well, not arguably, they are one of the top offensive teams in the league. He only allowed, what, eight goals? Mm-hmm. So you could point to the fact that their offense wasn't the one coming through or their transition game or wherever they're going to get their scoring because their defense and transition has been a big contributor to their success so far um, this season and especially in their last stretch of games where they have been losing. But you're only going to score six goals. I don't really know what you want Nick Rose to do. Yeah. He only left in eight goals. I don't really see where that correlates to him being the reason that they're not being successful. And really and truly, a lot of their games have been really close, one-goal games, Georgia, Philadelphia, Rochester, for example, one or two goal games, right? Um, When you're in those situations, Nick Rose, and I think that you know this too, he seems to come up with big saves in clutch moments. Mm -hmm. So even if he has some lapses, I feel as though you should be confident that he's going to make one save that could potentially change the tide. Absolutely. Six of 14 of the games this year have been decided by one goal, including this past weekend's game against Toronto. Um, you talk about their offense not producing, and that was going to be the next step, is, is the loss of Adam Jones has been huge for that offense. We still don't really know when he's going to be back, but what does this team have to do to really get everybody back on the same page? They had a good outing with 12 goals against Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is not really one of those top echelon teams. Although I will say, if you want to look at goaltending, um, Buckin's been one of the reasons that Philly's kind of been able to have these close matchups, um, just switching gears from Toronto for just a second, because I was talking to Paul Day, and he's like, in our game against Buffalo, Buckin makes 10 more, 11 more saves than Vince. He's making more saves than Shiliano. He's stopping 55 balls against other teams, right? So um, I know you can point to the Toronto offense as not being as good as they wanted to against Philly, but Buckin's kind of been holding his own this year, um, which, which is good for Philadelphia as an expansion team to be able to kind of trust the backstop in that case. Um, but in terms of their offense, so talking to Paul Day about the loss of Adam Jones, he said, listen, Adam Jones has been destroying us. And it's true. He had like I don't even know, almost 50% of the Rock's 
points he was involved in um, the last two times they played Philadelphia when he was playing. And, and Paul Jones said, here's the thing. You know that the right side is going to dominate for Toronto. Schreiber and Hellier, of course, they're going to get a lot of play in the offensive end. But he said the thing you have to worry a little bit less about with Jones out is like a late swing of the ball in the shot clock and finding Jones on the left side, which means that you have to be really engaged and really aware of where he is as well. So I don't think he meant any disrespect to the guys on the left side that are trying to pick up the slack of Jones. He just knows that Jones, what did he say? He said he's an an era-less player, that he just has a style that can kind of fit any kind of game, any style, um, so he becomes a little more dangerous. So maybe just capitalizing on chances is the only difference since you can't really replace and Adam Jones. Absolutely. One of the guys that really did step up was Johnny Palace, who had one of his best games yes. of the year this past weekend. How great was it to see Puck put up seven? Oh, my gosh. It was so exciting. And you know what? I haven't really talked to him too much before in my time with the NLL, but I kind of went to him before we went to air. He was my halftime interview um, in the game against Philly. And the first goal that he scored running the floor alongside Callan Rogers, which is no small feat. I was like, I don't think I've seen you move that fast (laughs) in the last two years. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe not, but he had a great game, and yeah, you know what? You want to talk about someone who's going to put up offense to kind of um, compensate for the loss of Adam Jones. That was a huge game by Johnny Palace for sure. When you look at a team like the Rock over the past years, injuries have often been an issue for them. Um, obviously, the loss of Adam Jones is huge, but one of their successes has been their depth. Uh, and having Challen Rogers play out the front door a little bit more, get some power play time, really showed how versatile they are. Yeah, and they really like that about themselves. Talking to Matt Sawyer, he kind of likened the Adam Jones situation to losing Tom Schreiber for a big chunk of time last year. Obviously, it's not going to be ideal, but he thinks that his team has the depth to withstand losses like that, at least for a a period of time. I know that you're not going to be your best self when you're missing a Schreiber or a Jones or a number of pieces for that matter, even a Challen Rogers, just say. Um, But they do have a lot of complementary pieces. You know, you have Craig, you have McArdle, you have Lintner. All these guys can have multi-goal games, and they have. So it's one of those things where it's just like survive and advance. It's almost the NCAA March Mm -hmm. Madness mentality when these guys go down. It's just like do what we can in the moment. Uh, Everyone needs to step up. Next man up. We know this in sports. And let's just move on to the next one. So they come out with a win, um, which was really important for them. Your life in sports is pretty hectic. How are your mornings these days? (laughs) Early. (laughs) Coffee filled. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Congratulations on the the gig with Sportsnet Radio in Toronto. That's got to be a huge moment for you when you got that call. Yeah, it was really exciting. Uh, thanks for bringing it up. You know, no I need to talk about myself. I know but, you did. Um, yeah, it was a really special moment. It's something I'm super proud of. There hasn't been a full-time female co-host at Sportsnet in like 20 years or something like wow. that. So um, it's something, yeah, it's something that I'm really proud of. And I'm, you know, I'm happy that it's not that I was hired because I'm a woman. It's because I was kind of the best one for the job. So it's been good. It's been early, lots yeah. of coffee, uh, lots of slapping yourself in the face and <laughs> rallying kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It do- Those days are tough, though, when it's like starting lineup in the morning on Sports 590 The Fan and then a rock game in the evening with, yeah. like, a brief nap in the afternoon. 
Naps are key. Naps are crucial. Yeah. Um, are there still haters out there that say, you know, women shouldn't be talking sports? I don't know. I Maybe you should ask your friends. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't really subscribe to that. I don't really um, suffer fools when it comes to conversations and comments like that. I've been yeah. pretty lucky where I haven't really been the target of uh, – too many, you know, go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich kind of comments. Good. Which, like, I mean, be a little bit more original. Um, if anything, <laughs> right. I'm going to go make myself a BLT and you can figure it out yourself. You can make, like, a struggle meal cereal or something. But, no, I, I've been lucky. I haven't really faced too much of that yet. But it definitely still is out there for sure. Um, I saw someone uh, tweet at you a while back about how come you're not talking more lacrosse on Oh, my radio. God, yeah. Um <laughs> In a sense, it would be cool if more sports talk radios did talk lacrosse, but you are busy in a major sports market with everything else that's going around. You talk lacrosse in other avenues. But what does it take for lacrosse to get onto a larger scale of media, do you think? Honestly, it's such a good question. And you kind of have the same question when it's surrounding the CWHL that just Mm -hmm. folded even minor hockey in Toronto, the Marlies, for example, or the Mississauga Steelheads. And then lacrosse, too. It's just such a niche sport that it just takes time and exposure and, quite frankly, television deals. And the Bleacher Report live streaming um, is really good. It's a a big step up from what the NLL had last year. I think you can agree with that. Um, But it just takes more eyes on the sport, like – I was kind of pissed off at that comment, actually, because, you know, I I do what I can when I can, but you also have to do the show for the listeners and not for myself. Um, I can't really be talking about it all the time. And then my coworkers, we're not having a conversation. It's just me relaying a score or something. Um, You know, I do what I can. This fan has a deal with The Rock. Like, we give away tickets and we promote their games, all their home games and stuff like that. Um, But what I will say, and like, I don't know, correct me if I'm off base here, but here's one of the biggest problems that I see. And I really challenge everyone to kind of just listen to what I'm saying before you react, because I've had conversations with multiple people in the city who have gone and, and tried to experience a lacrosse game, whether it be the Rock or whether it be the Oakville Rock in major series or anything like that. And kind of the overwhelming theme and this is not me, this is market research, the overwhelming theme is that they feel as though um, the lacrosse fans and really purists kind of aren't that welcoming. Yeah, I hear that. I, I get that. You know, they feel like if, you, if you've said the wrong thing, people are like, that's not what it's called, or you say the wrong name by accident, well, that's not what it is. And they get like snipped at and bit at as yeah. opposed to, oh, hey, actually, this is kind of what it is, and it's less of a teaching moment and more of, like, a possessive moment. Like, how dare you not know? We love this sport. Yeah. Um, and in the most respectful way, it's almost suffocating. And so you have people trying to come out and embrace the sport, and they get their hands slapped if they kind of step out of place. And that's not the most welcoming environment to grow the game. I completely agree with that. That's a, that's a very good point, Doc. Well done. Thank you. So, yeah, I feel like as though I'm opening myself up to a lot of criticism from diehard fans who are saying, I'm not like that. 
I don't do that. And listen, if you don't, then this comment isn't for you. But this is multiple people that I know personally who have tried to go out and, and get into lacrosse and see what it's all about. And that's how they have felt. And it's a consensus. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, the Kevin Crowley situation is a very, in, not Kevin Crowley, uh, Callum Crawford situation, a very interesting one. Um, what do you is, mean? <laughs> just, just the fact that just how everything that went down with the appeals process, with, with the first kind of slate of suspensions that happened, if this was the National Hockey League and it was, say, Connor McDavid or John Tavares or whoever it may be, and they were in that situation and – the process happened the way it did. Do you think more people would be up in arms about it? I think a lot of people were up in arms about this, though, don't you think? I do. I just... I think I the think... overwhelming the overwhelming thing that I saw in my timeline, and I know I don't probably follow as many lacrosse folks as you, but I follow the major um, players, pundits, commentators, um, and everyone was kind of like, Scooby-Dooby, huh? Like... <laughs> I don't know if that impersonation was good. That was but, pretty good. That was pretty that, spot on. <laughs> that I feel like that was kind of the reaction. Like, what? Yeah, um, and that's, that's kind of what I mean. Like, if this was, like I said, if this was the NHL and that happened, I don't think it would have happened the way it happened is what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Um, well, I mean, rules were meant to be broken. I don't know if that's what people meant by that saying. Um, I thought here. I actually had the chance to talk to Brad Creed and everything. Um, because, of course, his the hit on him was the second one, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was supposed to lead to the six-game suspension. Um, yeah. It's tough. It's a lot of money for Callum to lose should he miss all those games. Um, I don't really know. I feel like – okay, let me ask you this then before I say anything else. What do you think of the Callum Crawford – hit on Jake Withers? Uh, I just, at, at first glance, when I saw the original gift that Colleen Grimes put out, I thought it was horrendous. Okay. But then when I got home and I actually watched the game at full speed and I saw the play happen, I didn't think it was that bad. And after I've watched it a few times, he, he doesn't hit him in the head. He two-hand pushes him in the chest. Um, chest, like, chest like neck, though. Chest neck. Yeah. Like I, it kind of rides he, he hits him in the chest. We'll call it the check. Um, Not sponsored by Nike. Right. But I don't – it was a stupid play. It was well, something Calum yeah. shouldn't have done because, as I said, all eyes were on him. He had to know in that position that he can't be doing anything stupid or that blatant because right. everybody's got eyes on him. I truly feel that the five-minute major will probably get brought down to a two-minute minor. That's my gut feeling. Um just because I think it's being a little overblown. I think Jake Withers might have sold it a little bit. Um, but I, I just think it was it was a bad, bad optics on Callum's part. Well, he the fact that he kind of left his feet on a little hop didn't bode well also. And right. here's the thing. It kind of reminds me of Tom Wilson in the mm. NHL playing for the Washington Capitals. He has a bad reputation. So – you know that everything you do is going to be magnified, whether it's fair or not. So what do you, what do you plan on doing about that, right? If mm-hmm. you're going to continue to play your game your way, you're, that's well within your right to do, but just understand that anything you do is going to be fully scrutinized. So I didn't think it was as egregious as the other two hits, 
But at the same time, I don't know if you want to be doing that since you right. kind of just caught a break anyway. They adjusted the rules for you, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was a tough one. It's, been, it's probably been a really tough time for Callum, too. And I don't mean to um, kind of minimize what he did to the, the quote-unquote victims in this these situations. Um, but I can't imagine what that's been like. He's probably received a, a, a shitstorm of comments and commentary. And, you know, I don't know how – I haven't heard him say anything about it, but it's difficult from all angles. 100%. It can't be an easy position for him. And, you know, you liken him to Tom Wilson. I don't think Callum's as vicious a player as Tom Wilson, but the reputation that Callum has over yeah. the last two years has led to that. Um, back to the Toronto Rock before we get going. Uh, they're in Buffalo, a home-and-home home this weekend with Buffalo and Rochester. Um, how important are these two games for the Rock if they really want to try and get one of those home games? Well, it's important for me because their home games mean I get paid. So let's go, Rock. Let's uh, go Rock yeah. <laughs> you know how that goes. I know how those home games paychecks work, Doc. <laughs> what? Oh, my God, I'm dying. I need new shoes. Okay. Um, but for real, though, like, these games are really important. We saw how things played out last season in the East in particular, and everything was an absolute beautiful mind math equation. Like one carry to two, exponent six to the power of eight. It was down to the wire, the way seeding was going to play out, the way mm-hmm. people getting into the postseason was going to play out. So all of these wins are just super, super important, especially against Buffalo. I think one of the other things that is important too is that you need to kind of assert yourself against a team that's considered the leader of the pack in a lot of mm-hmm. instances. Um, when you have such a potent offense and you have a goaltender that can stand on his head at any given night in Buffalo, um, if Toronto can kind of assert themselves against Buffalo, who held them to just eight goals last game, um, that's kind of nice for your mental advantage, for your swagger, for your confidence, um, when you know that you can kind of turn things on at will if you need to. Swagger and confidence, is that the uh, name of your football suite? (laughs) Swagger and confidence is the name of my... Girl group? <laughs> oh, nice. Um, what football team are Is it a flag football team? Because you guys are like the champs, aren't you? We are. We're the national champs. Um, it's not flag football, though. It's actually touch football, one-hand touch. Okay. Um, yeah, we went to – the season is hella long. It goes from May until October. Um, wow. We played in Edmonton last year in the damn snow up to our ankles. It was a nightmare. I'll never do it again. Um, but yeah, we, we won the damn thing and, you know, I had to get some new cleats because low key, what happened was I got cleats last year that I really liked, but they got dirty. So I put them in the washer. Um, and that's not smart. Well, here's the thing. The insole is like glued to the bottom. So I couldn't get it out. So I think it got like moldy or mildewy or something. They smell so bad. I had to throw them out. Um, so I was forced to get new cleats. I really just wanted to keep my old ones, and that's the story. So I got these obnoxious hologram ones, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Here well, we are. Well, um, are you going to wear them between the benches? Friday? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. I just fun. stick with plain running shoes. You know what? I Okay, so here's the thing that I really wanted to do in my life, and I don't think I'm going to get the chance to now. One of my bucket list items was to, like, run on a baseball field like, jump down as a fan and, like, juke, like, two or three security guards. Like, like go streaking but not streaking? But not streaking, yeah. But I think I could honestly, like, 
make at least five or six guys slash girls miss me. Um, but I, you would have to bring cleats. Like I would be really prepared. I'm not just going to go in like some vans. Like you bring the cleats, you tie them on, you go, you can cut on the turf or the grass. You've really but thought this out. I no, I literally have thought about it a lot, but because of my job, it's just not conducive mm. to like good business for me personally. Right. Well, you could put a mask on and go to like an away game. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't want to do it that much. Like my bucket list is kind of like, I don't know, like a solo cup list. Like it's not that serious. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's I don't know what deep. else a bucket is. <laughs> uh, Doc, I appreciate your time. Great stuff between the benches all year long. Uh, we missed you on the flash, but we'll see you a lot more. So uh, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for giving us some time. Thanks, Nacho. Yes, she did indeed call me Nacho. It is a mini inside joke with her, myself, and Tyson Geik because uh, the three of us were in Colorado last year and went to a Nuggets game, and Ashley got herself some nachos, and it's just kind of been running ever since. By the way, she used a fork. Moving on. Uh, thanks to Doc. Uh, she does great work um, between the benches for the Toronto Rock, but she's also a pretty badass sports reporter uh, and hosting a radio show in Toronto in a major market um, is no small feat. So congratulations to her on that job. Uh, she does great, great stuff. Please stop asking her to talk lacrosse on the radio. She'll do it when she can. But people need to realize, and this, and I had to realize this when I worked for a radio station in Vancouver because I, too, wanted the hosts every show every day to talk lacrosse and the only thing is unfortunately in the sports radio and even sports tv world at this point in time lacrosse doesn't move the needle and sure you could have uh, a player from your market go on and be on the radio station for five to ten a five ten minute segment that's great but it's probably not going to, A, drive the needle in ratings. People aren't going to appointment tune to get to there to listen. And two, it's probably not going to make more people go to a game just be- because they heard a player on the, on the radio. There has to be more surrounding the world of lacrosse. And that's why getting specific lacrosse radio shows on the air is important. That's why it's important to get lacrosse on TV and not just on the OTT platforms, we as a society of lacrosse need to do better at exposing ourselves and not crying and complaining and holding people accountable when it doesn't. Because, trust me, as much as I would love to see my local sports station have a lacrosse guy on on game day, when there are so many other bigger sports that fans are invested in in those markets, it's tough to fill that void. And unfortunately, lacrosse, as much as we all love it, doesn't fill that void enough for it to make that make it worthwhile for radio and TV stations. So let's just stick within our bubble, continue to blow that bubble and grow that bubble, Stop picking on each other. Stop making newbies feel unwelcomed. Because there's going to be more and more fans 
new fans with more and more expansion. And we can't have those fans feeling ostracized because they don't know about the game. That's why I always say, if you're going to a game, take a friend. Take a friend, take two. Teach them the game. And don't just heckle people if they don't know the right terminology. They don't know players' names. They don't know the rules. They're asking questions. Let them ask those questions. It's how we learn. It's how I learned. It's how we all learn. Buffalo, Georgia, Toronto, all in the National Lacrosse League playoffs in the East. New England hanging on by the skin of their teeth. They just need one more win, and they'll be in. San Diego, Saskatchewan, Calgary, they're all in. Colorado, right on their heels. One more win, they're in. We pretty much have our NLL playoffs decided. It should be all cleared up this weekend unless some craziness begins to happen. And over the next three or four weeks, things just go sideways. For the sake of entertainment, I think it would be pretty cool. But for the sake of my nerves, I would like Colorado just to put it in the books and get away this weekend. And I know New England fans would love to see their team clinch a playoff spot this weekend as well. Week 17 is slowly approaching. Six games on the docket. They all go this weekend, Friday and Saturday. You can see them all on Bleacher Report Live. Get the app, stream it on your phone, laptop, computer, smart TV, or however you want to do it. Drop me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Um, news about Calum Crawford will probably come out Thursday or Friday. I have a feeling his major will get reduced. It's just an inkling that I have. Like I said, having watched it at full speed in the game and seeing the context of it, it's not as bad as it initially seemed. Sure, as Doc and I coined, he, he two-hand pushed him in the check, the chest-neck area. It was a silly, silly play by Callum Crawford. Callum will admit that the hit on Cree was dirty. I'm not sure he feels that this one was as bad, and I don't feel that this one was as bad. But as I have said, in the situation of it all, with everything that had, everything that had surrounded Callum Crawford, he needed to be on his best behavior this past weekend. And unfortunately, he wasn't for a split second, and it could cost him. We'll have to wait to see what Brian Lemon and the NLL does. I, Like I said, I have a feeling that his five will get reduced to a two because it wasn't all that bad. However, extenuating circumstances prior record, the incidents that's happened in the past couple of weeks, the suspensions, the hearings, everything that's going on, that's gone on, it would be not shocking to see them throw the book at Callum. I just don't think they will. I think they have to understand that situation, realize that it wasn't as vile or aggressive as it originally looked. Tell Callum to smarten up, give them one more chance, and we go from there. Remember, Rule 41.4 will most likely be reviewed and looked at next year. My suggestion is they drop it from six 
or five additional games down to three additional games. That kind of makes it a little more manageable. But we'll have to wait and see until all of that happens later on in the offseason. Until then, we've got six games. We've got about four more weeks, five more weeks in the NLL season. We are getting down to crunch time. The NLL Cup is just a few weeks away. This has been another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast on NLL Radio, SoundCloud, and the Lacrosse Flash. Until next week, be excellent to each other. The high-